You are listening to South Florida Sunday. We thank you for joining us on our program. At this time, we'd like to welcome our next guest, Dr. Ben Ravai, who is a, the Delray Medical Center, a cardiologist here. And we are here to talk about AFib Awareness Month. And uh, welcome to South Florida Sunday. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, give our listeners an opportunity to know a little bit about you, if you don't mind, a little backstory. Tell us where you're from and where you went to school. Sure. So I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in central Illinois. Um, did actually all of my training in Illinois and in the Midwest. So I went to medical school at the University of Illinois at Chicago and then was in uh, Milwaukee, Wesin- Milwaukee, Wisconsin for my residency and uh, at Case Western Hospital in Cleveland for my fellowship. Um, and then uh, we relocated here last year. My wife actually has some family down in southeast Florida, um, so moved down here about a year ago for the job. And so now you're here with us in Palm Beach County at Delray Medical Center. And um, for folks who may not know what an AFib is, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So AFib or atrial fibrillation uh, is an irregular heart rhythm that originates from the top chambers of the heart. Um, you know, for some people, it causes them symptoms, so they, they feel when they have it. Actually, some people don't feel it at all and don't know that they're in it. And it can have, a, you know, a wide range of complications and different treatment plans for different people. But, uh, you know, the brief is that it's a, an irregular heart rhythm that's more and more common, um, especially as people get older. And uh, when folks do, do folks, when they start recognizing these symptoms, do they usually contact a physician like or, or a facility like Delray Medical Center or are folks kind of hesitant to do that? So I'd say there's a range of people. Uh, you know, we have some people who come in because they're having some symptoms that are concerning, but they actually are not having AFib. And then we have others who uh, I'll see who've been having symptoms for a really long time and have been really hesitant to come in or see anyone about it because they're nervous or worried. Um, so I, I'd say it really is a wide range, and it just depends on, on the person. So now, is AFib different from a heart attack? It is. So, you know, they both affect the heart, but a heart attack is due to blockages in the arteries of the heart, whereas AFib is a problem with the electrical conduction system of the heart. So um, just because someone has AFib doesn't mean that they have blockages in the arteries or that they've had a heart attack. Uh, it's just kind of a, a separate issue with the heart. You know, there are Certainly people who have heart attacks or have had uh, blockages in the arteries who are more prone to developing atrial fibrillation. And atrial fibrillation has a lot of, we say, you know, kind of comorbidities, meaning that there are other conditions related to the heart that predispose people to going into atrial fibrillation. At the same time, we, we see patients who are younger and don't have a lot of other heart problems, and they still have an electrical conduction issue. Um, and and I'll see people even in their 40s or 50s who are otherwise healthy who develop atrial fibrillation. So it affects a lot of different types of people. You brought up age. Um, is is that something that you see in, in all ages, or is there a particular age group? So it becomes more common as people get older. So, you know, it can affect people of all age ranges, but certainly as people get older, there is a higher risk for it. And part of that may be because as, as you get older, you're more likely to develop high blood pressure and have blockages in the arteries and develop congestive heart failure. Um, but certainly we know that age is one of the biggest risk factors for atrial fibrillation. Uh, now, are there things, um, are there particular things that people do that cause this condition? And conversely, are there things that people can avoid to try to avoid this condition? So that's a good question. Um, you know, there, are, as I was mentioning, there are things that increase your risk of atrial fibrillation. So mm-hmm. people who 
you know, have a history of blockages in the arteries or who've had a heart attack, um, people who have high blood pressure or people who have sleep apnea. There's a lot of things that increase the risk of atrial fibrillation. So, you know, one of the biggest things that people can do is just to be healthy and live a healthy lifestyle and try to, uh, you know, avoid developing some of these things that increase your risk of atrial fibrillation. Um, there's some thought that, you know, people who have high levels of caffeine intake uh, have a higher risk of atrial fibrillation. There's been some data to support that, although, you know, most people who are having, you know, one or two cups of coffee a day doesn't necessarily mean that they're at an increased risk of developing an irregular heart rhythm. Whew. So that's a relief, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you had me going there for a minute. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, like I mentioned, there are people who really do all the right sort of things and live a healthy lifestyle and still develop this even at a, a relatively young age. So it, it can be hard to predict who's going to go into it and who won't. And we still don't know why, you know, one 50-year-old who's healthy may develop it and someone who's older and has a lot of heart problems mm -hmm. doesn't develop it. We, we don't necessarily know the answer to that question. What about family members? Is this the kind of thing that's hereditary? So there's uh, some thought that there is a hereditary link, especially when we're seeing these people who are, like I said, relatively young and, and don't have a lot of other medical problems and are heart healthy otherwise. Um, we do sometimes see that these people say they have a family history of atrial fibrillation and their parents have it or their siblings have had it. Um, but we don't necessarily, again, know why some people go into it and some don't. There's not a, a clear you know, genetic test that we can do to determine if someone's going to go into it or not. Um, but certainly there's some sort of component of family history and, and genetics that plays a role in it. Now the million-dollar question, how is it treated? So we have a wide range of treatment options, and this is kind of where uh, an individualized approach is needed because we don't treat – you know, any two people with the same approach. So for some people, you know, they are asymptomatic when they're in atrial fibrillation, meaning that they have atrial fibrillation, but they don't know that they have it. Uh -huh. uh, they don't feel it. It doesn't affect them. And, you know, pretty much everybody who has atrial fibrillation who has certain uh, risk factors, we put them on a blood thinner because one of the, the major risks of atrial fibrillation is the risk of blood clots forming and causing strokes. Um, but aside from that, there are some people who, you know, they have atrial fibrillation, they don't feel much, and we let them stay in atrial fibrillation as long as their heart rate is controlled. And there's others who are symptomatic or, you know, maybe for one reason or another, we want to try to keep them out of atrial fibrillation. And there's a lot of ways we can try to do that. Some of that includes certain medications. So uh, we call antiarrhythmic medications that are designed to try to prevent people from going into AFib. And then there are procedures that we uh, have to offer, such as atrial, fibril atrial fibrillation ablations, where um, you know, we actually go in with catheters and try to get rid of the uh, irregular heart rhythm or reduce the risk or frequency of it happening. So I guess it, it comes down to the degree of the condition as to what, uh, what steps you take. Yeah, it depends on a lot of factors. So you know, we look at, uh, is the person having symptoms from the atrial fibrillation or not? Um, we look at how often it's occurring. We look at, you know, other maybe comorbidities that the person has. So it really takes an individualized approach. And I, I can say that, you know, I, I see tons of patients who have atrial fibrillation and um, I don't necessarily treat any two of them the same way. Um, and it really just depends on their risk uh, factors, their symptoms, and, and we 
you know, kind of go over potential approaches and see see what works for them. You said there's a wide range of different op- opportunities and options to use. Are they all relatively, I, I don't want to say non-invasive, because I'm sure there's some right. surgery required, but is it... Uh, in this, in the grand scheme of surgeries, is it a rather minor surgery, and and is how, what's the recovery time like? Right. So, you know, we we generally don't rush into procedures for atrial fibrillation. So, you know, the procedures that we talk about are are kind of twofold. One would be something called a cardioversion, where you get a little bit of medicine to put you to sleep, and we apply a shock to the heart while you're asleep to try to uh, get you out of atrial fibrillation and back into normal rhythm. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, uh, even though it sounds scary and getting a shock to the heart is is really a non-invasive sort of thing, we apply a shock to the heart while you're asleep. And not to say that there's zero risk, but the risk of that sort of procedure is generally pretty low. Um, and people, you know, are awake a few minutes later and they walk out of the hospital an hour after the, the shock is done. So there's like zero recovery time. Yeah. There. So the, the recovery time from that's very minimal. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's a procedure called an ablation, which heart rhythm specialists will do. And, and that usually we don't rush into it. It depends again on how often someone's having symptoms and how much it's affecting them and what their response to medications are. But if someone was to go down that route, you know, that's a, a procedure that's done with catheters, so it's not an open surgery. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit more involved than, say, a cardioversion. But generally, people may stay in the hospital one night and they're home the next day. And, and the recovery time from that's really not bad either. It's not like going through an open heart surgery or anything like that. It's always fascinating when we speak with folks from Delray Medical Center. It always fascinates me how uh, how far we've come in medicine in such a short period of time. Uh, since you've been at Delray Medical Center, uh, you must have seen amazing advances in this the type of surgery and this, this type of uh, treatment. Yeah, so, you know, I've, I've, I haven't been here that long, and even in the mm-hmm. time I've been here, there's certainly been advances. So, you know, one thing is that... Um, the effectiveness of the ablation procedures is improving. It's it's not a curative procedure, but it's it's certainly uh, much more effective than it was you know several years ago. Um, and then there's all sorts of technological advances you know that people um, are using every day. Even things like an Apple Watch, where you can detect your heart rate and actually see at home if you're having episodes of this irregular heart rhythm. Really, and that's something that's really changed the way we we practice because we have. You know, I have people who now come in who never would have come to see me or never would have went to the doctor except that their Apple Watch shows that their heart rate randomly goes up. Wow. And uh, that's did, how they know. Did you ever think when you first started in medical school that folks would be wearing something on their wrist that would be warning them of a medical condition involving their heart? It's really pretty incredible. Isn't it? Um, yeah, wow. it, it really is. I mean, uh, the fact that people are now able to detect this at home, where, yeah. whereas a lot of these people we'd have a really hard time detecting it otherwise is it's pretty incredible and you just wonder what's going to come next <laughs> right and how soon yeah exactly well this is great and i thank you so much doctor for being on with us here on south florida sunday and getting us up to date on what's happening with afib and and educating our listeners to uh, to the warning signs as it is um and i feel like we've really only scratched the surface of a Really fascinating topic. Uh, is there a, a website where folks can go to to get more information on this? The website for Delray Medical Center is delraymedicalctr.com. Um, you can also uh, call 833-769-4862 to find a physician near you who can help. 
Excellent. Now, as I said, it feels like we've just uh, scratched the surface of, of all the great uh, advancements going on with AFib, but is there anything that we didn't cover uh, that you really wanted to share with our listeners before we wrap up our segment here? Well, I think, you know, we, we I'll say a couple things. One is that we briefly talked about the fact that a lot of patients end up having to go on a blood thinner because of the risk of stroke, uh-huh. and that's one of the the major things we worry about when people come to see me about AFib and they'll ask, is this a life-threatening problem? It's not you know, usually a life-threatening problem, but we do worry about the risk of stroke. And mm-hmm. um, for that reason, it's, it's really important that if, if you have AFib or you're concerned that, that you have AFib, that you see someone right away because we want to make sure that you're protected from that risk of stroke. Um, and since you mentioned stroke, I don't mean to interrupt, but are there other, is there other collateral issues that, that the AFib can cause uh, in addition to stroke? Sure. So if, if you have AFib and, and the heart rate is going really fast, which for some people it does when they're in AFib, over time that can cause weakening of the heart muscle. Um, and so that's something that we want to avoid because that can cause symptoms of congestive heart failure where people get short of breath and have swelling in their legs, and that can be problematic for people. Um, so those are probably the two big things are the risk of stroke and the risk of developing congestive heart failure if the AFib is not adequately treated. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us, and it's a pleasure talking with you, and uh, thanks for getting us up to date on what's going on with AFib and all the great stuff going on over at Delray Medical Center. If you don't mind, just give us that contact information one more time. Sure. Uh, so it's delraymedicalctr.com. And the phone number to find a physician is 833-769-4862. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on South Florida Sunday. Thank you for having me.